This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. Our sermon text this morning comes from Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Amen. Thank you. I want everyone to to wrestle with this biblical truth. In Jesus Christ, you lack for no good thing. In Jesus Christ, there's not a single thing that you're lacking for. So let me say that in the positive because the scriptures sometimes give us truths in like a double negative. In Jesus Christ, you have every single thing you need. 1 Corinthians 1. In Jesus Christ, you lack for no good thing or no good gift. You have every single thing you need. The most powerful force on the face of the planet is the indwelling Holy Spirit that you have by faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, you may have a bill that needs to be paid. Yes, you may have a physical ailment that needs to be healed. But you lack for nothing in Jesus Christ. No power, no perseverance, no no inspiration. You're not lacking any of those things. They are indwelled in your heart through Jesus Christ. And what we do here is to remind you of that, to fan that into flame, to give you perseverance when you're struggling, to give you the hope and the reminder that you're not lacking anything. You have everything. God did not save you for you then to be ill-equipped. He did not save you from damnation and condemnation for you then to be crippled in Jesus Christ. That is not the case. Let me give you an example from Scripture. In the book of Titus, we learn this. Paul went to an area called Crete. And the citizens of Crete were called Cretans. Now in that day, a Cretan was a liar, a thief, a swindler. The citizens of that area were so corrupt that their citizenry was just a slander. Like if you had ill character, if you were a person of poor character, they're like, Cretan, you're an awful person. That's how bad that area was that Paul went to. If you're planting something, that was hard ground. If you're going to start a church, that's a difficult place to start a church, and that's where Paul went. And by God's wonderful grace, a church sprung up. 
People got saved. They proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ. The people who had been looking for a Savior found one. The people who never thought about a Savior found one. The church sprung up. Of course, people joined. People quit. Tides came in. Tides came out. But that church flourished to such an extent that Paul then handed it off to his protege, Titus. And Titus led that church, and Paul kept on planting. And when you look at the book of Titus, that is Paul's letter. He's like, hey, uh, Pastor Titus and the people of Crete, I want to encourage you. In this really difficult area, one of the most difficult places to plant a church of all, I want to write a letter to encourage you. And what he tells them, and we'll look at this verse in greater detail in a minute, what he tells them is this. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all kinds of people. Now, when you get that verse, the grace of God has appeared, it can also be translated, the grace of God has been made evident, and that's where we get the name of our church. The hardest ground in the world to start a church, Paul wanted them to know, hey, grace is evident for all of you. And that's why this church is named this. Because we want the grace of God to be made evident to one another and to the world. Sometimes we don't do a great job of it. Sometimes we're flourishing in it. But what we're trying to do is to imitate that, that the grace of God will be made evident to everyone. I went back over the last week and I listened to my sermons from past Mission Sundays where I preached about what we're trying to do. So I listened to 2018 and I listened to 2017 One of them was on this passage, and another one was on Acts 2, which was also foundation for our mission of worship, community, and service. And as I listened to those messages, I thought, I couldn't preach those messages today if I wanted to. Not that they were untrue. I I think by God's grace, those messages were true. But where the church is right now, the church now doesn't need those messages then. So what you're not going to get from me, at least today, is when you come into the church, you flow into worship, go into community, go into service. Those things are going to happen. What we're going to talk about is what does it look like for us to worship Jesus? Here in this setting, and when we walk out the door, we're going to look at what it means for us to worship. And we need to be reminded that God plants churches in really, really hard ground. Really, really hard ground. My family, we had the the privilege uh, over our sabbatical to visit some other churches. And we wanted a nice cross-section. First church we went to was a 35-person church meeting in a basement. Half the time you couldn't see the pastor because there was a pole in the middle because it's holding the building up. And never saw the music team whatsoever. There's 35 people just trying to make it happen. Then we went to another church where we went to one of the few PCA megachurches on the face of the planet. Two services, we went to one, there was four to 600 people there, beautiful balconies, seminary professors speaking, lots of suits, lots of seersuckers. Visited Redeemer Church that got Amy and I into ministry 16 years ago. Their building is an old grain warehouse that's got some drywall. And I'm telling you, that service was 90% of our service. It was like, it was like sitting in this service. And what I realized is that through those varying atmospheres, those varying locations, what I heard thankfully in those three churches was this message of grace. And we cannot stray from it. We may be fatigued, we may be tired, we may be excited, but we can't stray from it. And in our worship, that is the foundational place we can't stray from it. We can't. You know what happens when we stray from grace? We are believing lies about worship. Some lie has crept into what we think worship is. And when that happens, we're straying from grace. 
And so what I want for us as we look at worship, we're going to pursue this big idea because we're going to find it in this passage. We need to understand some of the lies we believe about worship. You may not actively know it. Typically you don't. But we need to make sure we root out some of the lies. Here are three of them that we're going to look at. I'm lacking something before God is a lie. I'm lacking something before God. Second, I'm lacking something before the world. And three, I'm lacking something in worship. These are lies straight from the pit of hell, and Titus 2 is going to correct our hearts in it. And I'm excited about it, because once our hearts are corrected, we then have a pathway to walk forward. The scriptures always bite, but they always transform. Let's look at this first one, will you? I'm lacking something before God. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. There's a lot there. Grace is when you get something you don't deserve, right? Baptist definition, unmerited favor. Amy and I were out to eat at a restaurant in Alexandria, and there was a kid going crazy. I mean, screaming. And as a parent, you go, oh, I remember those days. We're like, whew, I remember those days. But then it moved into, they need to get a hold of that kid, right? And then what's the kid saying? I want ice cream. I want ice cream. And I was like, I'd never give that kid ice cream for anything in the world. That kid would not eat ice cream forever. But Amy and I go get ice cream. So when we go get ice cream, there's the kid. And I'm like, those parents need to get their junk straight. That kid would never eat ice cream again. And then I thought, that's what grace is. We're the proverbial, I want some ice cream. And God says, and I'm going to give it to you. And you don't deserve squat. That's what grace is. Grace is we need forgiveness. And we have shaken our fists and complained and complained and complained. But God just pours out more grace. There just seems to be, it's not grace if you don't abuse it. That's how deep and wide and strong grace is for you today. So that grace has appeared and it brings salvation to all men. Let's work backwards, all men. Now that verse doesn't mean that everybody gets saved. In the Greek, that's to all types of people. And in Titus 1, he lists all types of people. He talks about elders. He talks about older men and women. He talks about those who need to be trained. He talks about servants. Titus 1 lists all people. So this verse is saying, hey, all types of people, men, women, Republican, Democrat, gay, straight, whatever your categories are, none of them are beyond the salvation of God. They can all be saved. But they've got to be saved from something. You're not being actualized. You're not being better. You're not getting the best of you possible. You're being saved from sin. Now, so one thing I, I did also is uh, I pursued just listening to other sermons and, and wanted to hear some other pastors. And I was appalled by how many of those pastors would talk about just the best you. Sin was never called sin. It was talking about things that held you back from being the best you. But that's not what sin is. If you're being saved, you're being saved from something. I was appalled by some of those churches. I heard better calls to repentances from Slipknot albums than I did from some of these pastors. It was appalling. Like, you've got to talk about the hardness of sin and what we're saved from because you can't have joy in being actualized. You've got to be saved and find joy and get pulled out of the water when you're dead. That's what we celebrate here, though, right? That's it. We celebrate that that grace that we don't deserve has showed up and saved us. And not just us, people who don't look like us, people who don't act like us, and people who don't believe like us. We walk into the world, and every single person is in the purview and the possibility of being saved. We don't think that would be a hard person to be saved. Can't do that. When we do that, we begin to believe lies. 
about worship. Friends, here's what happens in our worship services here, okay? Now, I'm, I'm going to preach every single week, or someone's going to preach every week. Now, if I preach unfaithfully, if I preach unfaithfully, I'm not preaching the words Scripture correctly, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be deceived, right? I'm either going to deceive you, or you're going to be protected. And you're like, that, that's not right, Okay? So if I'm up here lying and not handling the scriptures correctly, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be deceived or you're going to be protected. When I preach faithfully, one of two things happen. You're either transformed or you're hardened. Those are the two things that happen in the scripture. Boring's not one of those options. (laughs) I'm not called to entertain you. I try not to be boring. So, but when the scriptures are preached, whether I do it or whether Michael Langer does it or whenever, whenever someone preaches Dave Benz, when we get up here, one of two things are happening. You're either transformed or you're hardened. And for us, we have to ask ourselves, what's going on in our hearts? But friends, you have every single thing necessary. Every gift God can give you, you have through the Holy Spirit. You have the wisdom to understand what's going on up here. You have the ability to understand the scriptures. You have a heart of worship. Those things you all have. And then we gather to bring that together. Friends, we don't have to to gather for worship and wait for extraordinary moments to worship. We don't. We don't have to sit here and wonder if some extraordinary moment is going to have to happen to worship. Worship is right in front of us when we gather. It's in us, around us. And we need to remind ourselves that that's what this is when we gather. It's an extraordinary moment that God has already made happen because he's brought his saints out of this corrupt world. And a couple of people decided that in the midst of what they could have done today was to hear the scriptures. You decided to show up to a place where someone's going to tell you that you're doing things wrong. But also tell you that there's as much grace as that little kid got to buy some ice cream. More grace than you can ever imagine. You have every single thing you need. Your standing before God is established. You are not lacking in any good gift as you wait for the arrival of Jesus Christ. He's brought you here equipped through Jesus. You don't lack anything. Now let's walk in what he's doing. Let's look at another thing. I'm lacking something before the world. This is a bigger one. We believe this. We truly believe that we're lacking something before the world. The grace of God has appeared in verse 11. And what does that grace of God does? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Worship and grace transform you. If grace is what you're holding on to, if all you're clinging on to is not your wisdom, your smarts, your stature, if all you're holding on to is grace, if that's all you've got, the only hope I have is that God's merciful to me, you will be transformed. It's going to train you. Training is that rigorous discipline that you do over and over and over again. I'm not going to throw in some running analogy. I'm just telling you, you know what training is. It's the thing you don't want to do. But grace will train you. And it's going to train you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. It's going to train you to live an upright and godly life in the present age. When he includes that part in the present age, as soon as he said that, he went public. He went public. He's not training you to renounce godliness only in your private life. When he said in the present age, he meant publicly as well. 
the grace of God and worship is intended to train us and renounce it. So I want to put something in front of every one of you, and I'm going to lay it on the elders, and this is 100% fact. And I want you to know this. If you are sitting here and you're saying, Gordon, that's not happening, and I need more training. If you're telling me, Gordon, I need discipling, that's fine. I want you, if you need it, and you're not getting it, I want you to go to your elder, Matt, Jeremy, and I. Matt, where's Jeremy? Jeremy's over here in the back. For all of us, you go to me, and if you don't know who it is, just assume it's your EG leader. I want you to go to them and say, I need more training. I need to be discipled. And here's what's going to happen. Either we will do it with you personally, or we will facilitate it for you to get it. That is our call before God. Equal to any other call we've ever made. But we're going to start with, where's the grace of God in your life right now? When you do that, we get into your lives. Because we're going to be talking about renouncing ungodliness and worldly passion, and what does your Christian life look like to the world in this present age? And we'll do it with as much humility and as grace as we have. And you have every right to come to us and say, why have you never done this before? And if we have failed you, we'll go, please forgive us. But we've got godly men and women in this church. We've got wonderful deacons. We've got fantastic resources here. But this has to be who we are. I called it, Matt, I called it dropping into second gear. Do any of you guys remember a stick shift? Can any of you drive, who drives a stick shift? Anybody? I know. So dropping into second gear, you know what I'm talking about? When you've just been cruising along in fourth or fifth, and all of a sudden you go up to a gear, and fourth and fifth is not going to work anymore, right? It's not. And you drop into second, and all of a sudden that car's got some umph. That's what this is. But you have everything you need before the present world. You do. You have the overwhelming grace of Jesus Christ. You have a worship that lifts up Jesus Christ. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but we're going to lift up Jesus Christ no matter what. You have the scriptures. You have a community. And we will, by the grace of God, do this. Worship trains us. The goal is Romans 6.13. I don't think I have this for you, so just listen up. I'll put it in the notes when I send it out tomorrow. This is what we need to be doing. 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's talking about your physical body. Don't present yourself as someone who is to be sinful in your body. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Sin will have no dominion over you. A promise of Scripture. That's what we hope for. You're not lacking anything before God, and you're not lacking anything before the world. You can say the name of Jesus to a non-believer. You can do it. You can tell your story of brokenness and healing to your classmates. And if we haven't equipped you, then call us to equip you. But you have every single thing you need for that to happen. Three, we believe that we're lacking something in worship. This is what we're doing right here in verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. 
We are waiting for the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ. I had a conversation with someone recently, just this past week, and they were struggling with the sin in which their children were interacting with at school. Sin in which years ago may have been something you wrestled with as an adult, which was now prevalent in elementary school. And that person said, I just come quickly, Lord Jesus. Anyone ever heard that expression? Uh, it's not used quite as much. Come quickly, Lord. Like, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back and all this sin can wipe away. I, I notice, I've said that, I notice that we only use that expression when we see something really horrible in the world. And that's fine. That's fine. But we're actually called in our worship to have such an awareness and appreciation and love of Jesus Christ that we just can't wait for that. We're waiting for our blessed hope. Your blessed hope is that Christ will come and save you and redeem you. That's what we celebrate. Now, when you look at these verses, I love all the verbs. This is full of verbs. Look at it. We wait. He will appear. He gave himself. He redeemed us. He purified us. And we will be zealous for good works. That's a lot of verbs. Everything about us, the bookends of that, are enabled by what Christ did in the middle. What are we doing? We're waiting and we're zealous. Those are the two things we do. Like, we're waiting. We can't wait for Jesus to come back. And we're zealous to do good works. Zealous today means some crazy religious person who has done some act of terrorism. It's the only time zealousness is used. We've got to reclaim that word. Because we are called to be zealous to do good. We're zealous to obey. We are zealous to speak the truth. We're zealous to not be jealous. We're zealous to live lives of purity. We're zealous to share the gospel. We're zealous to sacrifice. We're zealous. And the only way we're zealous is if we live in what's happening in the middle of here. We have a Savior who will return. We're not left hopeless here. He gave himself for us. He redeemed us and he purified us. When we own and live in those truths in the middle, we know how to wait and we know how to be zealous. If we're not waiting well and we're no longer zealous, if you find your heart for Jesus as cold and dead as it's ever been, somewhere in the middle you are missing something. And I've been there. I promise you I know it. I don't say it as those who've never experienced that because I know what it looks like. But are we waiting and are we zealous? Are we excited about the return of Jesus? Or are we excited to obey? To some degree, every one of us is going to say, I'm not doing that very well right now. And that's where we dig into the middle. But I've been redeemed. I've been purified. That's the grace. That's the gospel. And when we gather, hey friends, you're not lacking anything. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're not showing up here half-equipped. You may show up broken and tired and weary, but we gather as those who have Jesus Christ. Christ looks, excuse me, the Heavenly Father looks at you and he sees Jesus Christ in all his goodness. We are equipped for every single thing before God, before the world, and in our worship. I'd like to read a long passage from 1 Corinthians 1. It's up here. I want you to follow along with me. It's the verse that I've mentioned over and over again. What's the context of 1 Corinthians 1? It's a messed up church that I wouldn't walk in the door for anything in the world. People got drunk taking the Lord's Supper. They're swapping wives. 
They're having ecstatic worship services and they're, they're treating people like lesser Christians because they're supposedly not as good as one another. It's a messed up church. If they were in our denomination, that someone would be under discipline. It would be a mess. It really would. It was a messed up church. Drunken sexual activity with non-biblical worship practices. That's the context here. And what does Paul say? Hey, I give thanks to my God always for you. Love you guys, messed up church. Why? Because the grace of God that has been given you in Jesus Christ. I love you because I know the grace is powerful enough to fix all this mess. Paul is saying to that church, the grace of God is so big, he can fix you, messed up church. You're whining about ice cream, and I'm going to give you some ice cream because God is so good. He can fix that church. He can transform that church. Let's keep going. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. You have everything you need. You're equipped, church. You have the knowledge of Christ. Those things have been spoken to you. You have the grace. You have the speech. You have the wisdom. You have everything you need, church. You do. You're not ill-equipped. Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Somehow in this messed up church, we've seen Jesus Christ there is what he says. It's been confirmed. Jesus is there even in the midst of that Bobo church. Christ is there. Verse 7, the verse I quoted over and over again, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not lacking anything, church. You have everything you need. You may have some desires. You may have some goals. You may want things to look a little differently or practice a little bit differently, but you have every single thing you need. Verse 8, here's what we need. Here's what you need. I got tons of energy and you guys are tired. I get it. I get it. But here's what you need, and this is what I've experienced. Verse 8, who will sustain you to the end? The Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end. That means, in a large eschatological sense, and also means in the present sense. Here's what I mean. You who have faith in Jesus Christ, he's not going to let you go. Jesus said, I got everyone that God's ever given me in my hand, and no one's going to take him out of my hand. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're never going to lose your faith. Praise God. He gave you that faith in the first place, and you can't pry it out of his hand, nor can anyone else. You will be saved. Here's the other thing. He will sustain you in your present work as well. Evident Grace has every single thing it needs for this work to be sustained. There's things that we want differently. There are goals that we have, and those are wonderful. They're God-given. They are. There's things in our worship service that we'd like to see grow. We'd like to see our music team expand. You will see more of your elders and deacons up here in the worship services. There's things that we want to happen here, right? Of course. We want the back row of seats to be needed again now that they're not even put out anymore. We'd like to be in a place where the air conditioner is on every single Sunday. We'd like to have a place that we don't have to set up and take down every single Sunday. I get it. I want all of those things. But God will sustain us if what our dependence is is grace and not the giving of those things. He will sustain us. Why? Because the First Corinthians church heard, you have everything you need. And by the time Second Corinthians was reading, read, they had all those things. Second Corinthians is a church of just affirmation and a picture that God did all those things. 
Verse 8, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back and read this verse, these verses, Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned like four times. Not just Jesus, not just Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, hey, let me give you every title. It's like when you see the pastor's name, the good Reverend Dr. Duncan. Like every single title he had, he gave to you. Because he didn't want you to think in any way that he wasn't going to sustain you. He's Messiah, he's Savior, he's Lord. Every one of them. You have that. He will sustain you. Verse 9, God is faithful. Not us. God is faithful. By whom you were called into what? Fellowship. He's the one who is faithful. We are the ones in fellowship. And his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, this is what we are going to pray. That the Holy Spirit is going to use in our hearts to do great things in our lives and great things in the lives of our community. Let's bring our things to an end here. I haven't done a truth application and action in a while. I'm excited to get there. Our big idea is that there are lives we believe about worship. Not just worship in this 10 to 11.30, but the worship of our lives. Sometimes we think we are lacking before God, but we're not. We have everything through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think that we're lacking before the world and we can't preach His name or serve. We've got everything we need. Sometimes we think our worship is lacking. There's things we can change, but we're not lacking anything. Here's our truth. Biblical worship, because there's tons of worship out there. Biblical worship is the celebration of Christ's work the present and ongoing transformation of the Christian and the lifting up of God above all things. That's what we are doing here. Biblical worship is that we're going to celebrate all that Christ has done. Life, death, resurrection, we are saved, we are transformed, we have everything we need. We're going to celebrate that God is going to work in your life and he's going to keep working, he has. The present and ongoing work. And we're going to lift up God above all things, above status, above stature, above appearance. Application, this is what I want for us this week. I want us to live knowing that when the focus and goal of your worship is the glory of God, you will be encouraged and transformed. Do we show up and say, no matter what this week, I want God to be glorified. No matter what this week. It's amazing how easy it is for us to forget that. It is, I get it. I get it. I know it. But the goal of what we do when we walk in the door is that no matter what, whether by worship or service, we're desiring for God to be glorified. All right, action's a little clunky. I want to remind us all that comparison is the thief of joy, okay? So I want to remind you of that before we get into the action. If you live your life by comparison, you will not be joyful, okay? Ask God to transform your comparing and wandering heart into a thankful and hopeful heart. What do we compare ourselves to? Well, day-to-day life, we compare ourselves to people more attractive than us, more healthy than us, more wealthy than us, greater stature, better vacations. We do that all day long. It, and and it, just, it just beats us down. It does. You find someone your same age or younger than you that's more successful, and you're like, what am I doing with my life, right? Has that ever happened? Happens with the church too, doesn't it? How do they already have a building on the world? Wow. That children's ministry is amazing. How many musicians do they have on that stage? You have four teams? 
But we're not called to live our lives by comparison. We're not. We're called to a thankful and hopeful and worshipful heart because we have every single thing we need in Jesus Christ. The outworking of all this that I've said is not easy, friends. It's not. It's not. We still get tired to serve. We still grow weary because of sin. We easily forget what Jesus Christ has done. But we can't wander from the truths of Scripture that you have every single good gift that God has. You're not lacking in one. We don't need a second outpouring of the Spirit. We don't need, you have every single good gift. You have the Scriptures. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a church. And you have grace. Let's pray that God would remember that, remind us of that in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be both bruised but refreshed by these promises. My heart wanders. My heart gets discouraged. My heart forgets. I know all of our hearts do, but Father, we have every good gift. Every good gift. You will enable us to worship. You will enable us to obey. You will enable us to be bold to our friends and co-workers to speak of Jesus Christ. You will make us different. Thank you that grace is poured out. May we revel in it. May we speak it. May we offer it. May Christ be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.